I didn't know I was going to be having a session today. Yeah, you're on the clock as well. <laughs> I was looking for examples from the couples you've worked with. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was just any couple I could think of. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril, back with Pastor Elliot Anderson to continue our conversation about conflict styles. In last episode, we identified what type of conflict style we have, and there's a model that we use, Elliot's used extensively in his work with couples. And so if you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, head back over to take a listen so that you can get the foundation of this conversation. And now we're going to look at some more brass tacks and some more concrete examples of how couples negotiate conflict because it's ubiquitous. It's going to be part of life, always is, no matter what relationship you are in, there will be conflict. And so Elliot, to move us forward with this conversation, maybe give us some examples from couples you've worked with. Sure. Glad to be back on the show, Karen. Thanks for having me on and for being a great conflict partner for the first 18 years of my life. It was nice to get some practice with you before I moved on to dating relationships. Although you didn't always fight back as much as I wanted. You sometimes would just retreat and that was disappointing, but... It's called learned helplessness. (laughs) I could always count on Warren being a little more aggressive or serve. That's our older brother, being a little more serve aggressive when I was poking and provoking the entire family. In conflict style, and I'm bringing that up as an initial point, not only for the fun of talking about you and I as brother and sister, but because family dynamics is one of the primary, our family of origin, those dynamics of conflict definitely root us in some particular style. <clears throat> Sometimes it's in opposition to a super strong force above us. In your case, a very obnoxious fox and shark aggressive boy above you and a shark turtle combination or a snapping turtle father, and then a teddy bear mother. So there is those dynamics that then influence our conflict style. And then I was the provoker in the family, the agitator in the family. And then what do I end up doing outside of my first girlfriend, all other dating relationships then, and even my best friends with males, all of them were fighters and debaters. Everyone loves to get in these deep discussions and whether it's deep about sports or deep about life or deep about sex or deep about food, pontificating and arguing and debating. So it made complete sense that when I found a woman like my wife, Angie, who is a very strong shark, that it was a natural affinity. So sometimes we're drawn to a particular style, whether that's for healthy reasons or unhealthy reasons, for interdependence or codependence. And we can't always define it ahead of time or recognize it ahead of time until we're already involved in that relationship. And for me, Karen, I think looking back, if I had to analyze myself now as a therapist on the 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old rebel, I was craving intimacy even then. And if Warren ignored me, which he did all the time, I would rather fight him than have him ignore me. In fact, I even said that to him a couple of times when I'd take his Sunday afternoon nap and just destroy it because I'd jump on him or set his alarm off or just punch him in the gut and leave and force him to get up and deal with me per se. And I think I've always had that craving for that intimacy. And as I talked about last episode, sometimes couples who fight a lot don't know how to be intimate and they use that fighting to get the passion and the intensity moving. And we now have to learn how to do that in a strategic or beneficial way. 
So that was a lot to lay out as introductory commentary. But for those who've taken the time to either explore their own conflict styles on Thomas Kilman's site, or were just self-identifying through your discussion or the discussion we both had, once you recognize that it's not enough, once you know your style, then you have to assess and interpret your partner's style and then begin to say, okay, then how does a shark and a turtle, which happens a lot, marry together? How do we now negotiate to make sure we can get to holistic resolving of issues or at least understanding or set up patterns that allow both people to be naturally who they are, organically who they are, and not get caught into codependency or enmeshment simply by the more dominant personality or dominant force, which happens a lot because we end up saying, well, I don't want to upset that person, so I'll just cater to them. I'll just please them. And you're shaking your head well because you know as a panda bear, little turtle, teddy bear combination, you've had that issue with me and with others. Thankfully, I think your owl husband allows you to be freer and safer when he's bringing things up and that fits better for you. I didn't know I was going to be having a session today. Yeah, you're on the clock as well. <laughs> I was looking for examples from the couples you've worked with. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was just any couple I could think of. <laughs> no, but I'm, I was just giving a point that avoidance that sometimes was your only option for your listeners to know is your only option with me, in particular, is the older brother right above you. And we did spend a ton of time together and had many good times as well as some of those really difficult times. And then from a father who had that shark mentality often or the shark turtle combo, snapping turtle, or a mother who was very pleasing oriented that it took you a while, I think, to develop your style. And then as God often does things, he orchestrates. And when you get the man that really molded and fit best with you, to me as an analyst of conflict styles, it made perfect sense that his owl nature and his conflict style worked perfectly for you and allows you to be authentically you and still occasionally bring things up, but allow him to lead in that confrontation negotiation style. And he does it much more friendly and than maybe a pure shark would. Oh yeah. He's not a shark. Cause I don't receive that. That would make you retreat probably. Oh yeah. Because to me in conflict in general, I believe that the way you present information that you're unhappy with or dissatisfied with is critical. If you come at me in a sharkish manner, I'm just going to be like, I don't want I don't have time for this. I'm not into people who lead with anger. I don't respond to that. Yeah. And that's perfect for the starting the examples of what I'm talking about. Like I said, a shark turtle marriage, which happens quite a bit. Usually it's a female shark and a male turtle, by the way, as far as gender representation in those partnerships. And so what happens a lot then is if the shark is only presenting in intensity, only presenting with anger, as you talked about, it will automatically withdraw the avoider. They'll even at times have a post-traumatic stressful response or go a little disassociative, meaning blank stares and looking off in the distance. One of the couples I worked with who said I could use this in this podcast today because I talked to him yesterday. It's my buddy in Ontario, Canada. He talked about that he's an avoider. His partner is a confronter and he will literally dissociate. He will literally stare out the window right when we're on session together. And he's not disengaged. He's actually processing, but she receives it as a confronter as disengagement and it makes her more mad and more frustrated. So we've been talking as a couple, how do we do this? How do we walk through this? How do you, how do you change some of those dynamics? How does she present in a way that still is authentically her? 
on principle and standards and, and the things that are bothering her that she feels she needs to bring up, all completely fair and appropriate. And how can he engage with her without going into that dissociative mode? And so one of the things we talked about last session was simply turning and looking at her to not go off in the distance. Even when I'm with session with him one-on-one, I'll remind him, hey, look at me. You don't have to stare at me the whole time, but look at me, stay focused on me when we talk and then look, look aside a little bit, look away a little bit, then come back just to train yourself. And he had a family dynamic where he felt there was oppressive style of confrontation that didn't allow him a voice, didn't allow him to represent self. Her background as well, she didn't feel she was heard as much or had a fair shake with her siblings as much. And so both of them come a little bit from that wounded background and conflict. And we're working on the very things you were just asking about, very specific strategic ways, presenting things and receiving things and how to walk through it. So one of the other ideas I work with couples on then is the confronter side. Remember that shark or owl, or it's a snapping turtle or a hammerhead. Those are all the ones that are on the confronting side. Sometimes it helps if you've married an avoider or a fox who's neutral with some avoiding tendencies. Sometimes it helps to give them advance notice and even write some things out. So to present some things in advance. So even maybe not the night before, because that could cause someone to lose some sleep, but maybe the morning and say, hey, I wrote a few things down. I would love to talk about these things later tonight. I'm not angry. Even staying those things up front, I'm not angry. I'm not frustrated. I'm not ready to leave the relationship. I just like to talk these through a little bit. And what would that look like? And then give that avoider time to process that all day long and say, okay, sounds great. That's 6.30 or whatever. Let's take a walk. Sometimes doing something kinesthetic while you talk about these issues can be very helpful. Or let's get to a neutral site or let's get somewhere where we don't typically argue. Because if you have environmental cues that like we always argue in the bathroom when we're getting ready in the morning, or we always argue in the kitchen when we're cooking or something, then get to a different environment and strategically work on different presentation, different reception and as you stated, I was so proud of you, as you stated in our introduction, negotiating rather than compromising. <laughs> so get those needs out and say, this is what I need. This is what I'm feeling. How are you responding? How are you hearing me? So many times, Karen, in those couple sessions, it's happened so much the last 10 days. I've had so many sessions because it's that Christmas rush where people have a lot of trauma and past struggles with Christmas and holidays. And so there's been so many sessions and I've had many couples recognizing in session when we're walking through these things, what I was hearing was not what was intended. And yeah. what I intended was not what was heard. And sometimes it's dramatically different. Mm -hmm. And that can change the entire conversation. That's why a third party sometimes can be so helpful. Just say, oh, this is what I hear you saying. Is that what you're hearing? They're like, no, I didn't hear that at all. I was hearing this, not this. And huge difference. Yeah, it's interesting. When you said that, I was thinking about the couple you mentioned in that example of the shark woman and the turtle man. Yep. And again, just that idea of someone coming at someone, leading with this anger, with an aggressiveness. And maybe they're not even meaning to be aggressive, but their tone, their delivery, their style is perceived as aggressive by the turtle. I'm just thinking the turtle's like, I don't play that way. I'm not going to come back at you with the same kind of intensity in terms of what feels aggressive. So they're going to pull back, do their turtle thing. And that's really the way that they're going to feel that they can take some of the power back because they're feeling attacked. Absolutely. And so now yep. they're feeling like they're being in a one down position. 
So to get the power back in place and more equitable, they're going to go to their default mode, their default style and just pull back. And yeah, like you said, with the example of your client, maybe he is processing when he's looking away. Maybe it's just too much for him to take in. The stimuli is too, it's an enormous amount. We've got the loud volume. We've got the angry words. We've got maybe some very physical gestures that look maybe even intimidating. Not that this man is necessarily scared physically, but I'm sure in some cases, yes. We we do know that men and women both can be aggressive and physically aggressive in relationships. So to try to create a little bit of emotional distance and to try to get a little bit of power back, I can understand that recoiling. Yeah, the leverage factor, sometimes helping sharks understand or hammerheads understand that their teddy bear or their panda or the turtle is retreating to get safety for leverage so it feels equal again. And you stated well that just the emotional connectiveness of confronters who are normally pretty aligned with emotional passion and intensity in their presentation that feels like yelling. I've had that in my office many times where the, one of the partners who's on the avoidance side will just say to me, can't you hear? This is how it is all the time. They're yelling at me all the time. And I say, hey, I got to tell you, I'm a fox. I'm the neutral. I got to tell you, that's not yelling. It sure is. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's a raised voice. There's some <laughs> tone. There's some intensity. That's not yelling. And then the partner is usually, thank you so much because I promise I'm not yelling. I tell them I'm not yelling. And yelling is different, but how you receive it, how you perceive it again. And if you've had that kind of experience growing up where that yelling was really there or just the strong words and you're a natural avoider, whether it's technically yelling or not, it's perceived that way. And that puts it on the defense, puts it on the retreat, puts it on the leverage. And that's why we have to do different dynamics. You have to take the time when you're arguing about the same things, are repeating the same styles over and over again without effective resolution, connection, intimacy. When these kind of conflicts cause three days of pain and separation, it's not effective. What's not working, you got to strategize and do some different things. Yeah, you have to try to find that groove that works for you to your point you said earlier where someone can say, hey, this is just my, this is my style and I want to be me and I want to be authentically who I am in my most intimate relationship. But if that person, your style is such that your spouse or partner can't hear you, can't see you, can't, is going to pull back, then your bid for intimacy, which is, as you mentioned earlier, oftentimes someone who has that more, I would say, aggressive or combative style, part of that is probably that bid for intimacy. I want to connect. I want to make this right. Things aren't right. That's a very pure motivation, but if it can't be received, it's then we have not, in fact, increased intimacy. We have not increased the depth of our connection we've put a wedge in there. Yeah. And I tell the confronters often to take away the context of I must be right and they must understand my rightness and get to righteousness. And that's not just for Christian couples or spiritual couples, but a simple definition of righteousness is right with God and right with each other. And so even if you don't believe in God and you want a righteous conversation with your spouse, making sure you're right and they're wrong will not allow it to happen. So you got to get off the rightness and get into righteousness. How to be right with my partner. And if you're a shark and your partner's an avoider and they're a panda bear, you can't keep attacking. Like those A's of intimacy we've talked about many times in your shows. If it's accusational and attack or assumptions, there's no chance the panda is going to be able to join you and have an intimate conversation about something you desperately feel you need to share and are doing it in a manner that they can't receive. 
And sometimes that's physiological. I'll tell shark husbands in particular, when they're driving home and they're frustrated or they got something they want to confront their teddy bear wife about or something or girlfriend about, man, do something physiological before you have that conversation. Mow the yard, dig a hole, <laughs> go for a jog, ride your bike, do some breathing exercises. If you're a man of faith, do some prayer and then approach your wife as if you're approaching the Lord. Gentle, kind, gracious, about righteousness, not about rightness. That's not easy. The confronters are wired for that standard, that principle, and that closure. And so again, we're not saying, oh, they have to change more than the avoider does. Try to meet in the middle there. Try to meet in the fox. Try to meet in the owl zone that's a little more gracious. Yeah, and it doesn't mean that they can't be who they are. They can take that energy to the courtroom in litigation if they're a lawyer, or they can take it to the boardroom if they're a CEO, or they can take it to the basketball court if they're going to play pickup basketball with their friends. It's just that if you have, if you recognize this is the person that you committed your life to, and you can wish all day long that they would come back at you shark to shark, that's not who you married. So there's a point of you have to, yes, as we negotiate, we both meet, like you said, in the middle, but there's a part where you can't spend the rest of your marriage wishing that they would have your same conflict style. Kind of like the love languages. You have to find out who you've married, hoping you knew before you got married, but certainly we are all works in progress and we keep evolving and growing. And so there will be elements where, wow, that's a new thing about my spouse. Or I understand this in a way I never did before, but that's who you picked. And so you want to honor them, like you said, by honoring the way that they are. And I think they can have fun with it. Like you've talked about using the animal names can be fun. Early on when Dan and I would text, he would think I was a pokey texter. He called me a pokey mm-hmm. texter, which is basically him asking for more frequent communication. Yeah. And before we were exclusive, I wasn't prepared to give him quite that because we weren't exclusive. He didn't have that. He didn't have that right in a sense, mm-hmm. but he communicated that as like a playful way to say, hey, I would pr- prefer you be a little bit more responsive in a more timely manner. And even now, like if he texts me something, our dynamic is going to be sweetie or honey, or I love Mm -hmm. you. And if he doesn't, if it's more direct, then I'll probably come back. Why are you yelling at me? (laughs) And it's a joke. And we we know it's a joke, but it just, I playfully say, don't forget when we text, I like a little sweetie honey. That's our dynamic. Pandas need a little love. They've got to have a little (laughs) love in there. And again, whether it was Dan pursuing you in the initial stages of relationship or Dan still pursuing you as a husband, which I love that he does, He's still got that owl mode. He wants resolvement. He wants closure. He wants the continuation of the conversation to get where he needs it to get, not in a selfish way, in a positive, holistic, marital way. And there's that dance dynamic. And I think it's important also to recognize, because I hear this from a lot of couples. Let's say we have a, let's go back to the shark example of a female shark and a male turtle. Often that male turtle will be an owl or a fox in their work environment because their role or position mandates it. And the spouse knows that and sees that. And then when they get turtle at home, they're furious. And often those kind of men, and our brother fits into this a little bit, who can be organizationally, administrative, structured, and be pretty firm when he needs to. He's not quite a shark anymore. But owl, certainly, in his administrative organizational work. But when he's done out of that context at the university or with his choir, when he retreats and wants to relax and rest, he's going to go definite turtle. 
not only in his introverted manner, but he's going to go, I don't want to fight. I don't want to bring up major issues. I just want some peace. And so there's that mixture. And our wonderful sister-in-law, Leah, is a wonderful owl, just like Dan is. And she's needing that closure and she's needing that connection. And so they've navigated over their 30 years of marriage how to do that as well when one's more of a natural presenter and connector. Leah was not aggressively dominant by any means, very sweet. Middle child who's on the soft side where I'm the middle child on the hard side. But it's, again, that dynamic, how do we navigate this so we still have our intimacy, still have our connection, and even discuss significant issues where we're having some differences in a way that honors each other. If we go to those three A's again, a great book by Cloud and Townsend, How to Change Your Spouse. I recommend that book to anybody. It's 300 pages, and I can sum it up in one word, acceptance. <laughs> Accept your spouse for who they are, and then you love them to change. You serve them to change, not with the motivation to change. Just love them for who they are, serve them for who they are. And then naturally, organically, the relationship will slowly evolve in a way that makes both of you better, both of you stronger, both of you wiser, both of you more effective. And that's that point you and I have talked about on many podcasts. You're not enmeshing and trying to be this separate unit that only does, thinks the same and does the same and always has your, pot, your hands in each other's back pockets. You are trying to build independence and interdependence at the same time. Our satisfaction and joy in life is directly related to our satisfaction and joy in our relationships. Elliot and I are here to help. We'd love to design a workshop, seminar, or weekend retreat for your organization. We'll bring the psych research, of course, along with over 60 years of combined experience in psychotherapy. We'll share science-based therapeutic techniques within the context of a Christian worldview we can level up in our relationships. Contact our producer, Tim May, at tim at loveandlifemedia.com to book us. Let's talk a little bit about these foxes, because since apparently I'm in a session right now, last time I, I did it, I recently did the test yeah. again. And compared to when I took it in your class in college, in my early 20s, I actually had a score of a fox too. My top awesome. two, I think, were teddy bear and fox. Well, foxes, again, are the neutral, or my wife would say the neutered, because <laughs> if, if I'm being passive or I'm not giving her direct connection, then she would be frustrated with that. Now, she's never said that to me. I'm just giving language of how a shark would feel about that position oh, if the okay. fox doesn't stand on itself, mm. if it doesn't stay consistent with their principles. They're not so, manipulative? Yeah. I thought they were Foxes? Not Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. You can- Okay change position within a single argument and believe both of them. So that's because kind of if, confusing if it, for people. Who absolutely, are especially for confronters yeah. yeah, or even avoider in that matter. So for foxes, it's trying to teach them to use positive manipulation rather than negative manipulation. Positive coercion rather than negative coercion. Positive influence rather than negative influence. Because if foxes have strong extroverted personalities like I do and are good at communicating and good at connecting with people, one of my staff members at Student Life when I was vice president said, oh, if you weren't a pastor in your heart, you could be a cult leader. <laughs> and that was pretty challenging in a loving way. And I received it appropriately. She loved me as a person. She wasn't trying to condemn me. She was just saying for a fact, like, hey, you got to recognize this ability to influence and inspire and to encourage this could really be used for bad things if you're not centered on the Lord, centered on your role, centered on your perspective. And that's always been a sticking point for my heart to say, make sure to myself, where's my motivations? 
Am I using my energetic extroversion and encouragement and passion to, to help people grow, to make things better? Or am I using it for my own selfish gain? And you have to look at that in your marriage or your partnership, your dating, if you're a fox, and know that you probably have that kind of personality. Most foxes are extroverted. Very few foxes are introverted. And so most have that social nature and that ability to move and maneuver with different people and be in a room of confronters and have a great time and be in a room of avoiders and have a good time. And so recognizing how do I use this as a bridge? You're the one in between the two styles. How can I use this to make both sides effective? And that's why many foxes are therapists. And I'm not surprised some of that in your professional world has some fox in it. Your presentations, your writing, your platform. I think you use your fox skills there quite a bit which is different than interpersonal dating or romance or marriage. When someone challenges you in your platforms or your presentation or something, you go back to your avoider side. You don't like it. I'm not saying you won't speak up and say things, but I'm saying it, it hits you. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like, oh, this will be a fun conversation. You're like, oh, come on. Why someone got to be critical of that or something? That's just the nature of an avoider compared to a confronter. Yeah. I don't like confrontation and being combative just for the sake of being combative. Right. And that's where I think your fox side, perfect example, and thank you for sharing, and you don't have to pay me for the session, <laughs> that your fox side goes back towards the panda, teddy bear, turtle side. If it feels combative, it feels like it's, this isn't about love, this isn't about connection, it's someone just going off on me or provoking me for some reason. Where my fox side is linked to my shark side, and I'll go, hey, let's dance a little bit. Let's throw out a bunch of stuff just for the fun of it and see how it goes. So there's a little difference in that. You should hang out on social media more often because that's where you could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with could. people all the time. If you have just a few seconds to help me out, I would so appreciate it. You can do so by heading over to Apple Podcasts, giving us a five-star rating and a few sentences of review that helps others find the program and join the Love and Life family. The Love and Life hack for this week is learn about your conflict styles so you and your partner can work with them, not against them. Elliot and I wrap up our conversation on conflict with a discussion about power dynamics and how these are so often at the root of our arguments and discord. Stay tuned for that episode, which we'll post in the next few days. Thank you as always for sharing a portion of your day with us. We're grateful you've chosen to be a part of the Love and Life family. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen anderson Abril, And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen anderson Abril.